Alrighty. <clears throat> 200, dude. 200. This is it. Oh, we start. Oh, am I supposed to start? Yeah, you're starting. Oh, wow. Okay. It's episode 200. I forgot. I totally forgot. I thought you were going to start. <laughs> I was confused. I was confused. Do you want me to start? I can start. Um, but it's 200. Yeah, so no, I know. Should... Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, you should totally Yeah, do. I'm going to totally start. Okay. I, I was just like, you know, yeah, I was separating bookend from actual interview. And, you know, and I was you like, know what Man. I'm going to do is I'm going to cut this whole thing up and I'm going to put it in front of the intro. Cool. Of you and I going, no, 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 you do it. No, you do it. No, okay. Dude, totally do that. I would. That would be killer. All right, ready? Yep. Hey, everyone. This is uh, the Wealth Standard Podcast. Take two. Hi, everyone. This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, and you're not going to believe it, but it is episode 200. 200. Man, that's, that's a lot of podcasts. That's a bi. That's bicentennial. Isn't that bicentennial? Yeah. Has to be bicentennial. It would. It would. It would be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if, if it's if not, you're then counting it in years. The bicentennial. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. I know why I know by the way. Yeah. So two hundred. If I, you know, if if I counted my life in podcasts, yeah. I'd look like an old Japanese dude with like you know white mustache. Yeah. And like all you know. Kind of like uh, the guy that grasshopper the kung fu master on kung fu. There yeah. you go. I, exactly. The blind guy. Exactly. What was his name? I totally forget. I love that show. Anyway, no, two hundred. So today, this this episode, we thought it'd be good to uh, go in and and tell tell the story. Tell the Patrick go through, Donahoe story. Yeah, just go go raw. And you came up with a bunch of questions, and you know we embedded a few others in there. But I think there's there's a lot there's a lot to say. I learned a ton mainly through just you know the the stupid tax over the last uh, last couple ten years. Yeah, and as tr- do all CEOs. Yeah, yeah. And I and I've. I've shared a lot on the on the podcast, right? right. So, so I'm hoping that some of it uh, some of it comes out. But well, it's what a, I would like to yeah. do, it, you spend uh, an enormous amount of time researching a lot of the guests and a lot of the topics that we have here on the show. So I'd like to turn the tables. Chunga gets to interview Patrick for a change because episode 200. I, I let's let's find out. Uh, you know, let's find out the who, what, when, where, and why of the Wealth Standard Podcast, and, and even Paradigm Life, if, if you'll allow me. For sure. they're kind of synonymous. Yeah. So I thought you were going to bust out your turntables. Yeah, I can, if you want Turn me to. Turn the table on the turntables. <laughs> that was kind of stupid. So it was. Yeah, totally. Okay, um, okay let's uh, let's get going here. So this is, you know, episode 200. Yep. You started, uh, well, first of all, why did you start the Wealth Standard? First and foremost, and when did you start it? Well... All right. It, it, this goes. This actually goes back to before, like Paradigm Life started. Yeah, this, right? the this is like two thousand older than Paradigm Life. Right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean it goes. All right, so I'm trying to remember. It's like two thousand five, two thousand six, where <laughs> there. So the 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 partnership I was what well, was involved with, uh, they had signed this agreement to do uh, three days a week on AM six thirty. Oh yeah. So they brought like a line in, and we were doing a. You know, and and the person that committed to actually doing the show, like stopped doing. He's like, I don't want to do it anymore. And we had, and they had signed the agreement, so so like you go you go time. do it. Yes, yeah, so we had all this airtime. So I started, you know, I started going on there uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it was like super like intimidating. Was it, it called the Wall Standard at that point? No, I can't remember what it was what it was called. Okay, okay, <laughs> but but it was Some but that was my first this. exposure to it. And at the time, I just hired uh, an assistant, yeah. uh, Chris Chris Feld. 
and just super awesome guy very like really like from liberal east coast Mm -hmm. and because i have this kind of you know capitalistic free market libertarian like we had some amazing conversations but anyway he was very you know uh uh, technology oriented and he's the one that said hey i'm gonna turn this into a podcast and i'm like okay well i have no idea what that is but yeah go for it and and that's that's where it started starting to when podcasts were really me being in radio that's about the time podcasts started making my life a living hell yeah and exactly because it competed with traditional airspace and that's why i never heard of it before and i don't even know if if i can't even remember i don't even know where those those episodes are like i i don't that goes back way, way, think, way. Uh, I was they were storing it. I was talking to Lee Montoya, who works here on the show with us, and and I think he has them somewhere. Oh, really? We I should, think we should post those. Break them out, yeah. We should have like a comedy session on. <laughs> uh, you sound mm, like uh, a uh, baby. Like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was. It, I I just still remember they had like this soundproof room, and it was so small. Like they rented this like little tiny office, uh, a floor below ours, uh-huh. and they had padded it, so you couldn't. Like it was so weird because you couldn't. I couldn't hear. There's no echo. It was just like yeah, dead it was space. Aw- and it was just me in there. It was so awkward and uncomfortable. But yeah. I did it, and then it just became it became habit. I just I kept it going even when that whole business fell on its face. Yeah. Uh, but I just I kept it going. It, it used to be kind of a once a month. So the first I would say the first couple of years was like once a month. Okay. And I'm not sure if it, it it may have been around episode 50 or 75 I can't even remember. What we started to do a couple a month and then eventually yeah. to to weekly. But back then it was just it was just monthly cuz it was just me doing everything. Uh now this is um okay so you started you started this in 2005? 7. So Two, yeah. Okay, so 2000 Paradigm Life started in 2007. This was like the 2000 uh five era where we committed it predates the wall standard yeah and then okay. once once that contract with am 630 was up uh, that's when i kept it going because it was a podcast by then yeah and so i you know with with paradigm life and me learning what i was during that time right i was just teaching it through through the podcast uh was it initially did it take off right away or did was it uh did you have a pretty humble start um, well, you had to find takeoff. It was kind of yeah. one of those like, you know, paper airplane type of deals. <laughs> um, no, I mean, in the beginning, I think we, we built a decent audience from AM, AM 630. Yeah. And it, I can't remember how many people we had on our, our mailing list, but we had some good momentum. Yeah. But as we, you know, as I was transitioning into the paradigm life side of things, we did see, you know, drop off. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I would say it really started to build momentum after the, you know, 2009, 2010 crash. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's, man, I have so many questions here. First question, do you have any idea who the number one radio personality was on the air in this market when you were on AM 630? Who you were competing against? I I don't know. One Jimmy F Chunga. Oh, dude, I was yeah. like your competition. That you were at that point. Did you just realize that? Uh, I'm I'm just kind of putting two and two together. I'm like, do you hate me that? now? Not at all. Okay, cool. No, are you kidding? Please. <laughs> so, uh, are you gonna listen? We're we're working on putting a book together for you. Yep. Uh, which I'm very very excited about. Yeah, me too. Uh, are you gonna tell all these stories? Are we gonna get all of the uh, kind of the the down low, kind of the dirty, kind of seedy underbelly of how you had to start this whole thing? Yeah, this. I mean, that's the pl- that's the plan. And so I have to kind of get in my like meditative state to actually remember those t- those times. If, I bet it feels kidding. like it was a lifetime ago. No, it does. It? Yeah. So so the book side of things, we're use you know we're we've we've outlined everything. We kind of have placements for certain stories. I've written a few already. Yeah. Uh, just you know, for the for the editor, and there's a lot of there's a lot more that come that are going to come through that. Just explaining different. It's really cool because the story of paradigm 
it it's a it's a great kind of uh dialogue for examples of why our our wealth strategies work and like what type of value they provide which Uh is really cool that's that's how i learn is kind of through stories through real life examples i love like documentaries or uh you know true true stories Mm -hmm. and that's you know that that's kind of the the theme we're trying to use more than anything is autobiographies people's stories um to me that's so much more fun than than fiction yeah um so I, I, I'm very, very excited about that. Um, but the the back to the wealth standard because this is all this is all part of the same thing. You know, you started Paradigm Life and you started uh, podcast, the, wealth yep. stand, the podcast. Mm-hmm. But the the 2008 through 2010 uh, financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Now that was um, I, I knowing you now for the time that I have that was really the defining. Yep. era for you yeah i mean that was really where you got to test your metal and say okay the world is burning the world is crying yeah. what am i going to do with it kind of a thing right and you went through some pretty hard years there yeah and i i mean i would say that business people all have to go through uh tough times right and it's defined differently i'm sure for every situation but for me it was like you know everything everything happened within a, a couple of years like all so many life lessons yeah was was that it was personal it was physical it was marriage right. it was father it was business a person it was marketer it was relationship builder and during this whole time i was still doing a podcast right, right. so i i had to you know get up the gumption to Do, actually did you, did you, when you talk about podcast, what we were doing when you were, you were you talking about the things that you were going through at the time or were you I, just talking I, about Standard financial topics. No, knowing who I was during that period of time, it was I was trying to uh, I was trying to mask it, right? Yeah. And I think with you know one of the stories that I, I wrote for the uh, for the book, I was. I mean, at that time, I was trying to be someone who I wasn't to my wife, uh, yeah. to my kids, right? Just because it was you know up to that point, like I hadn't really failed, right, in, yeah. in business or um, you know being a, an entrepreneur and being a breadwinner for my family. Right. So it's kind yeah. of like I, I tried to hide all of that, you know, all of that until I just couldn't anymore. And that, uh, there's a, there'll be a story in there about, um, uh, Chuckarama, right. Where uh, like yeah. <laughs> we, we went, that's how we, that's, cele- that's, that's how we celebrated our demise is like, okay, we're going to Chuckarama. This is what's going on. <laughs> so that was, for people yeah, who don't it, know, cause people listen all over the world to this podcast. Chuckarama is a it is a Utah it is an institution yeah. <laughs> here, here in Utah it's an all you can eat buffet western yeah. themed buffet and if you live in Utah it is you are not a Utah if you don't like it <laughs> everybody loves everybody loves Chuckarama right uh, it was a so it was a total was, it was a total dive I basically said Cynthia um, so here's what's going on uh, you don't have any money. And Uh-oh. I stepped away from the partners. <laughs> this and is the last of our money. Here's what we have to pay on a monthly basis. And here's plan A. Here's here's plan B. And she and I, that was the time. So she she left for for a few weeks. Like she got. I think that may have been the time. But she was like, you know, furious. Was she Not left, necessarily was that, like I'm reevaluating my marriage. Yeah, it was, and it was everything. more. It was more. You know, it, it wasn't to the situation that we're that we were in because with her, I mean, she. Like she grew up literally in like a concrete floor cinder block home, right yeah, in, in Mexico, in Mexico. Yeah. and so it wasn't it it wasn't the situation, it was the fact that I didn't um I didn't 
keep her in the loop. I didn't tr- trust her. Or I didn't feel yeah. like I, it was, you know, it, I could I could talk to her about what was, was what was going it was, on. It was a, an issue of respect. Yeah. The, the way she, you know, and I, I'm, I'm still kind of young and, and naive. And back then, you know, even even more so. And I, you know, yeah. just the pressure with with the two kids and yeah, and and it was it was super painful. And I think during that time, when you know, when when she was gone for, I think it was up almost it may have been three weeks, but I just had you know, I had a lot of um, a lot of anxiety, just a lot of questioning about what what I was doing. And this is in and, 2000. And... Uh, this is 2009. Okay. Right, right, right at the kind of beginning beginning uh spring of 2009 and during that time it's like the, the crisis hit late it was yeah. fall or i'll never forget it fall yeah. of 2008 but yeah. a lot of people didn't really feel it until 2009 yeah 2009, 2009. in 2000 tell me 2009 was like man i that was definitely like urban survival or like yeah. this you know on survivor island or whatever we yeah. have no food and you have you know a little like uh leaf covering your you know <laughs> and trying to like you know eat bugs and <laughs> you know you're at, you're on the island trying to survive and it was you know it, and it there was a lot of a lot of you know very similarities to that show uh, yeah uh, funny enough but but it but that is where you know it caused me to reflect in a way i hadn't before right and, and question it, everything that you were doing yeah and that's where everything was really galvanized right where it's like yeah. no i am doing this yep this is who i am mm-hmm. and i'm gonna forge on and and make this work yeah and it was you know it was, a, it was a pain it was a painful time it wasn't like i woke up one morning and suddenly i learned all the lessons right it was it was a very it was a it was a progress through those those months uh, and it was it was difficult and i would say you know as as that that all occurred um you know i look back on it and it was just the importance of just recognizing where you're at not trying to be you know, having integrity, just being, you know, saying this is what this is what's going on. This is what yeah. you know. This is what's what's happening, and especially with your partner, right, with your spouse or with your significant other. Uh, and and I think I, I I know I had that I had that lesson. And yeah. really, it wasn't until like the fall, late fall of two thousand and nine, where I had this kind of pivotal pivotal moment. And it was that kind of defining moment, which I think created a lot of the momentum behind what happened in 2010 and, and what accelerated into, you know, where we're at today. And so in 2000, in 2008, that was the kind of the first full year where Paradigm was uh, in business. And it was a good, it was a good year. We did yeah. a lot of business. It was just, it was just me. And I had, you know, Wh- Whitney was helping me with. Um, Whitney is your current chief of staff. Yeah, she she's had chief a variety of, staff. of different roles, even since I've been here, but yeah. she, you have moved her into the chief of staff role and she's doing a great job. Yeah. And so she's, you know, she was with me like right, right at the, at the beginning. She is the kindest, most terrifying person. Seriously. Ever meet. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, she's, she's one of a kind. Like she yeah. keeps, like I used to call her like the glue and it's like, to, it's like concrete. Like she keeps everything just, you know, rock, rock solid. It's, it's fascinating. She's to, a total movie junkie. Work. She's a movie junkie. And uh, she and I have this little contest. We go back and forth almost daily yeah. uh, on movie quotes. And I was finally able to stump her for the first time in like nine months. Oh wow! Uh, stumped her on a Jaws quote. Actually, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And she has worn a Darkwing Duck T-shirt like on, our, on our casual Fridays <laughs> yeah. for like you know ten years. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's true. Darkwing Duck. Anyway, no. So, so it was, yeah, it was during that when you know w- w- it was just me and Whitney, and we had a good year because we were part of the partnership, and uh, there was you know a lot of lead generation being done, and and relationships being built by some of the other partners, and and so that year, uh, the companies that we work with, they have different you know rewards and and things of that nature, and so uh, one of them was 
to uh, to Europe for for a week, uh-huh. and and so that but that was not going to be until the end of 2009. So here, you know, going from that happening to essentially losing everything, uh, and and stepping away from some from partners, and and having all of my you know personal issues uh, happen yeah. here. You know, we are going to uh, you know Europe, and they you know they pay for pay for everything. Uh, and we bring literally 150 bucks cash. That's all. That's all we we had, <laughs> right? So we bring that. Cynthia's family, you know, came up and watched the kids, and so we're, you know, in Europe, you know, debating on whether we can afford a hot chocolate, you know, this hot chocolate at yeah. this, you know, this restaurant. Uh, and it, but people it, are listening uh, to this now, and I, I bet there's a lot of people that are listening. Like, wow, what a romantic story. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you remember well, it quite yeah. different, but but yeah, I do. Yeah, and, and it was. It, it, I think that that trip, you know, it was we it was things were on the on the fritz, right? It was very very uncertain times up in the air. But on that trip, I think it, it really helped us. Like like we hadn't gone on anything together in you know years. Yeah. And it helped us reconnect. But also on that trip, were were two individuals that were you know instrumental in uh, in really um, the the comeback. I guess you can you mm-hmm. can say. And it was uh, one was uh, Nelson Nash, right? Nelson Nash, he's the author of "Become Your Own Banker," right. uh, which is one of the publications that we that we recommend. And uh, and he's you know eighty at the time he was probably eighty five. I think he's in his early nineties now. Good for him. And it, and he's just an amazing, intelligent, really smart, uh, very well read. And we just had a couple conversations that that week that totally reinvigorated my my passion just for everything. yeah for sure and and I I mean I have a I still have a, a picture we're gonna put the picture on the you know in the book but uh, I still have a picture on the the deck of this like riverboat riverboat that we were on and that conversation like changed everything right mm-hmm. it got me to start reading and looking into this and this and this and I started to really build an understanding a more profound understanding about so that, that was your moment was of clarity doing. with Nelson Nash that yeah. was because I. You still do this stuff daily. Yeah. A, a lot of these. You're very habitual. Mm-hmm. You're very disciplined. And hearing you, I've never heard the Nelson Nash story. And it was, wow. yeah, and it was one of those moments that gave that gave me hope, right? It made me realize that what I was doing was incredibly impactful. And there was no better time yeah. than during like 2009 to going into 2010 yeah. to actually be doing what I was doing. So that was the first person. Then the other uh, couple who was on same same trip was Todd uh, Todd Langford and Kim Butler. Oh, and nice. so they were on the same same one, and I didn't have. I mean, I I had, um, you know, known Kim in 2006 and 2007. Former rich dad advisor, right? Yeah, she's former rich dad advisor. She's written, you know, handful of books, uh, and originally was kind of one of my original mentors that pointed me in the yeah. in the right direction on how to start up what I what I wanted, which is essentially what she was doing. But we didn't have really a good a, a friendship. It was more of an acquaintance. But I had some very you know very similar conversations with them yeah. uh, on this on this same trip. So and then that's when you know in 2010 and they and, had their own issues through that. Through oh yeah, that and I didn't know well. I didn't know at the time. Yeah, um, I that I you know that was that was that after the fact later. Yeah. yeah, but I would say that that's where I got had an affinity toward them as well as some of uh, Nelson's events, and that's where I went to uh, Todd and Kim's event. You know every every other month for a couple of years, like oh, in wow. Houston, didn't hardly have anything to my name, but yet I was going there. You were able to find the means to do yeah. that. And then after that, that's where, you know, it was interesting. It's kind of like when, when all of that, when, you know, things kind of came to this, well, this there was, there fork were, in the there road. Were a couple other guys too. I mean, let's, you know, yeah. Russ. 
Yeah, so this, where, that's what's interesting. It's like, yeah, yeah, so this is where, like, the momentum that was building, it came to this kind of, this this uh, this crossroads where it was, you know, I could quit, file bankruptcy, just, you know, hang it up, and Cynthia was like, just go get a job at 7-Eleven. Go get a, go, you have a degree, go get a job, yeah. you know? It was like, man, I had a lot of pressure there, but it was what yeah. we kind of reinvigorated that. But then right when I got home, there were a few key relationships that that started, uh, and mainly in the real estate uh, investment space. Yeah. And oddly enough, it was like right at the point where nobody wanted to be in real estate because everyone was getting foreclosed on, and you know it was it, values were tanking. But in hindsight, one of the best times to have actually gotten involved uh, sure. in in rental real. So anyway, so anyway, I, I was called kind of out of the blue by uh, by an individual, and we worked with him for about uh, nine months. And that right there is what kind of got the uh, paradigm back back on his feet. And I still, you know, sing praises to them every, you know, all the time. They're when still I, around when I and they're still doing yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and they're still doing they're still doing well. But that's also the time where we started to form a a relationship with uh, the real estate guys, uh, Russ Russ Gray and Robert uh, Robert Helms, which still continues to this day and is very very yeah. Yeah, Strong. we've I've I've been on the the summit at sea for uh, seven years. Next year will be eighth eighth year, mm-hmm. and they are you know they're they're great friends. What they've done is absolutely amazing with their business and their podcast and and the message that you know that they're sharing. Yeah. And and they also went through the, the, some of the same lessons as as I did. Yeah, and it's awesome to share really that that battle and that fight that you have to go through and to survive in in business. Uh-huh. And you know through them and through the crews. I formed a lot of relationships. Um, I rekindled the relationship with Tom Wheelwright, who I had met years previous, yeah. uh, Andy Andy Tanner, and we created you know the Cash Flow Wealth Summit from that. Uh, but really, from there, these these kind of relationships started to help me pick up the pieces. And it took a while. I mean, this this is you know 2009 wiped almost everything everything out. But I did not file yeah. bankruptcy, and I you know it took multiple years to really you know settle with creditors and figure all that stuff out. It took a while to to build back, and it. I think there are there are some of us, uh, myself included, that are listening to your story now, uh, that that really really took it in the teeth during that period of time. Yep. I don't know that I'll ever feel the same mm-hmm. as I did before that. Yep. Uh, I'm much more cautious now. I'm much more careful with money. Yeah. I'm afraid to spend anything mm-hmm. anymore because of the lessons that I learned in 2008 through 2010. Yeah, and that's a that's a lot of what we of what we teach. I mean, what I what I back then, I mean, I had a, a lot of naivety and it was you know, I think I had a kind of a crisis of meaning or a crisis of purpose leading yeah. into that, you know, that 2009 trip. Uh just ask myself like who am I that you know, I this is where I'm at and I'm I have the nerve to actually give people advice. That that's yeah. kind of what I that's what I felt. It's like I, all this stuff just crashed them out around me, and you know I'm I'm being inauthentic, right? If I'm thinking that I should be giving people financial advice, given oh, where I look where at I'm it at, completely different. You have been to the belly of the beast, mm-hmm. and you came out the other side. Yeah. People were jumping off of buildings. Yeah, I know. You know, I, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, and I know a lot of, of and I know a lot of people that were doing what I what I what we do and quit and found another profession still in it today and, and, yeah. and i i just i don't know why i'm not i'm not a quitter like that's that's the right. last thing that i that i would that i would do um but i was about to and i don't know if it, if it weren't for that moment i don't i think i would have honestly yeah and so it kind of this this whole thing kind of reinvigorated my my passion and i just you know i came out of that trip with just this desire to um, to be real with people, but also uh, to help them. And I can't tell you how many situations that I was able to help, whether it was like negotiating with creditors or legal or especially a lot of real estate 
uh, law. Not that I was giving legal advice. I wasn't. But understanding right. like foreclosure law, understanding recourse law, I was able to help a lot of a, a lot of people that I otherwise would not have been able to uh, to help. And so it was it was beneficial in the end. But I just came away with just. I wish I would have known you back then. Yeah. Because uh, you know I still have the scabs. <laughs> from those days, yeah. you know that you you probably could have been tremendously helpful. Had yeah, a lot of and a lot of people, a lot of people have, and that's where I would say what we're doing now. I mean, going back into you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you know the the downturn affected what most people do with their with their money, yeah. uh, and it even affects you know real estate investors who may not have had those cyclical experiences before. And I would say that those that were positioned the right way, that could see the writing on the wall, maybe not be able to pinpoint it to an exact date and time, but at least knew the cycle of events when it comes to you know monetary policy and and uh, um, you know just the government involvement with uh, you know with crises, which which occurred in the past, 2001, the yeah. the government came in and bailed uh, bailed out uh, late 90s, you know same same thing. Uh, you go back to 1987. I mean, all all the different crises crises uh, of the past. They 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 do that, and so there were some very intelligent people that knew that and were positioning themselves to take advantage of sure. what happened as a rebound. Right. And I think there are a lot of people doing that today. But there are a lot of people that are still naive, kind of thinking that you know all these trees are going to grow to the sky and that there isn't you know there isn't a cycle. And so I would I would say that you know right now it's very interesting. Where you know this was like a 2006, 2007. Uh, that's how it feels right now. Looking back in, you, in you hindsight, you said this to me several different times. Mm-hmm. That the um, because I was not working in the financial space back then, uh, I can see it so much more clearly today. It's terrifying to look at, but if you position yourself the right way, you're going to be just fine. Yeah, and I think a sign. So. I mean, Ben Bernanke. I think it was in 2000, and it was 2008. Was it 2008 or 2006? I can't. It was after, right when he got in, got on, got into his position after Greenspan, and he said that you know the, the economy is great. We're not going to have a you oh, know a, yeah. yeah. And and you know Janet Yellen comes out uh, last week and says you know we won't have another you know downturn in in uh, a lifetime. Like she came out and said that last week. Wow. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, she's like, we're we're not going to have another you know crisis or downturn. Downturns in, are inevitable. Yeah, and that's where it's it's interesting, right? So. When people when they say things like that, like why does she have to say that? I mean, it may be a concern of people, but, but, but saying what is that, the end game? What is the end game? What is the benefit? Well, it's to just her a sign. Person? Well, yeah, I mean, for her, she That's she like doesn't Titanic want Titanic is unsinkable. And the Fed is supposed to be, you know, this uh, this stability measurement. What they say, what they do, their policy yeah. is looked at as to what the direction of the economy is. Yeah, but, and but, so what but she anybody, says, she has to instill that type of confidence in people. But don't you just see arrogance when, when you see something like sure. that or when I mean, you hear yeah. something like that? Yeah. I, I think anybody She probably believes it. I mean, I would. I, I don't know if she gets on there and oh, just blatantly goodness. lies, yeah. but I would say that, you know, she, she probably uh, believes it. But that goes to when you are arrogant, then you're not looking for what you may be missing. Yeah. And when you do that, that's when your blind spots get filled with stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've got this. Um, now that we've kind of set the table here for uh, for the history of the Wealth Standard podcast and Paradigm Life, yeah. uh, I went around earlier today and talked to several people in our business development department to find out the most commonly asked questions when people call Paradigm Life and they want to talk to a wealth strategist or when they want to contact me or you or somebody that works here at the Wealth Standard. uh, What are the most commonly asked questions? And so 
Um, I just kind of want to run through some of these. I mean, we already have to a certain extent. We've already answered a lot of those, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of the most commonly asked questions is how did you get your start? Um, you know, what happened to you in 2008, 2009, 2010? Uh, but I do have a lot of questions here, like uh, the, the Palm Beach newsletter, for example. Yeah. Now, the Palm Beach newsletter is a wildly popular email uh, newsletter that goes around. Mm-hmm. And you had, were you around for that in the very beginning of the Palm Beach newsletter? Or how did, how did that uh, it was It was pretty it was pretty close to when they, when they began. Okay. So well, Tom and I, Dyson and those guys. Yeah. And Mark, and Mark, Mark Ford or, you know, his pen name is Michael Masterson. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, so I, I, and I had never been exposed to that world before. Right. I knew, I knew Bill Bonner, right. Who, okay. who's, who runs uh, the Agora, you know, financial publishing, right, which is kind of the umbrella thing for, Palm yeah, Beach. for, for a lot. I mean, a they're, they're, you know, billion, multi-billion. Yeah. It's a huge, huge, huge company. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I didn't have much exposure to, to it. And so I, you know, like I always do, I just, we'd have a lot of business we do online. Uh, and I get to talk to people everywhere, like literally all, all across the world, uh, all States. And at that time, you know, because we were working with, uh, we were doing ads with the real estate guys and uh, we were using the database that, you know, that, uh, that I had taken from our, our uh, previous partnership. Like we had clients, every, we had, we had uh, a database of people everywhere. So we were emailing, doing webinars. I got to talk to people yeah. in Arizona and uh, is that, Florida. Is that and, hard for you? Because that's actually one of my questions yeah. here is um, how do you prefer to work with your clients? That, that's Would you the, rather yeah. work with them face-to-face or are you okay doing it? Like I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with both. It's just, it's not feasible, right, to do, to do both. Yeah. And that's where I don't want to have, you know, distance uh, prevent a good conversation or uh, for me to help help somebody and yeah. so I so I got a call you know this is how the whole Palm Beach thing happened but I get a call uh, from um, you know Tim Middlestat who's actually a really good friend of mine now and you know he was just working in Atlanta and uh, just came across what we were doing and we had a couple good good conversations and uh, I think we did do business at, at that time and it, and he was plugged. He he was subscribed to those newsletters. wasn't involved yeah. with them at all, but was subscribed to those newsletters. And and he basically responded to a, one of the first pieces that the Palm Beach uh, Palm Beach uh, uh, newsletter. Uh, I can't remember what they were called at the time. The Palm Beach Letter. That's what they were called at the time. Mm-hmm. They're the Palm Beach Research Group now, but Palm Beach Letter. That they, they wrote about life insurance because I had I had just finished speaking to him and and teaching about everything that we were doing, and yet this uh, this letter that he was subscribed to comes out saying the opposite. So he wrote to them, okay. and said, "Hey, you, I've just learned about this. Check this stuff out." Yeah, and it, that's when they commissioned him to actually do a whole. You know, report on it, and and so Tim and I spent you know the better part of six months just like have him asking every every possible question that you can imagine about what we do, and basically wrote a report and so gave it, gave it to them. So you were basically a a leading consultant for the Palm Beach newsletter then. Yeah, a, I mean, lot, I, of the, a it, lot of what they wrote about came from you actually. Um, well, it's through those interviews. Yeah, I mean, a lot yeah. of the content originated originated there, and that's when Tom you know Tom Dyson. Uh, he got involved and started to, you know, go through a very similar interview uh, process with me. Okay. Not nearly as lengthy as as uh, Tim because they already yeah. had that material. Sure. So that's where I, I built a great relationship with Tom. Tom's an amazing guy, He's in, insanely in, uh, intelligent, 
and uh, and from there it really it really writer, took off. By the way. Very good, very good writer, very yeah. eloquent. I mean, all those guys are just like the the way in which they write and tell stories is is brilliant. Yeah. So that's where you know we started a, a relationship with with them. Now we don't have an official relationship. You you can't because they're protected by you know Second Amendment where uh, you know uh, free press they can write whatever really they they sure. want sure. and you know they they stick to that and so there's no we have no professional relationship. It's more of you know we they learn from us and. Uh, and that's it. And they talk about and they keep what their we journalistic do. Journalistic integrity intact. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's understandable. So, um, okay. So you've got the Palm Beach newsletter. You've uh, you've worked with Kim Butler. Mm-hmm. You've worked with uh, a lot of some of the the, the brightest minds, uh, and, and and honestly, some of the more eccentric uh, by traditional standard mm-hmm. guys like Jason Hartman, mm-hmm. who I think is just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, you've got a great relationship with him. Uh, you work with a lot of the rich dad advisors, mm-hmm. uh, Andy Tanner. You you referenced him. Mm-hmm. Um, these it, it seems to me that every single one of these people have a very sincere, deep hatred for the four hundred one k and yeah. for Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So, did these guys play a hand in you having the opinions of Wall Street and the four hundred one k, or were you already there before you met these guys? Oh, that's a good question. I was I was I was already there. Uh huh. They just, you know, obviously solidified a, a lot of it they because they, yeah, because they feel the same way. And, and what you do as an alternative may may be different with the different, you know, strategies that Andy uses or some of the other rich dad advisors. Yeah, he does some different things. Than Andy. Yeah, and that and that's where really what it came down to, though. And this this goes to just back kind of in Nel- the Nelson Nash, you know, epiphany that I had, yeah. you know, at that 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 riverboat cruise top he like he reads voraciously i mean it's it's in it's insane how many books that guy's read yeah but he had a whole book list and he was he challenged me to to get through his his uh book list reading all those books uh in in a year and i didn't do it but i read a i read a a lot of it and a lot of that has it has that same opinion that those the opinions associated with really kind of you know the the wall street idea and the collective idea where you have these, you know, bureaucratic type of institutions that are very closely tied to the government, and them just essentially creating uh, policies to uh, get get more money, and that's really what what Wall Street is. Now, I'm not saying that there's no integrity in that system, uh, but what I what I am saying is they have become. I mean, Wall Street, the 401k, that whole strategy has become like the only thing to do. People think, well, what else do I, you know? Well, what else do I do? They're conditioned that way, for sure. And that, the and, and they're they've been so successful that they've drowned out most of the alternatives because of you know their ability to lobby as well as their ability to I, uh, I, uh, push media out. I don't know if if you're aware of this or not, but the most commonly asked question we get here at the Wealth Standard and at Paradigm Life, which is you know you're the CEO of is why shouldn't I invest in the stock market? Why should I have an insurance-based wealth management strategy? Why should I do this? And I would say, I I think the stock market is, you have to define it in two ways. The first way is you you trust a financial advisor or a money manager with your money. Okay, that's that's the first way. Second way is when you become educated and create a business of 
understanding how to value companies, uh, how to have you know insurance around those uh, those those positions uh, through options and so forth. I think if you educate yourself and really understand what you're doing, that that's a that's a business. Now, do you put all your money there? Of course not. No business owner puts all of his money into his well, at least no business owner that's around for a long time right. puts all of his money into his into his business. Uh, but the former, which is really what our nation has become is I would say it's not a very smart and it's been proven to be not a very smart way to uh, save save your money and invest your money. Wall Street doesn't really represent the average Joe American anymore, does it? Well, they I think they pretend to, right? Yeah. And they because they that's where the majority of their money comes from. I mean, the middle yeah. middle class who are essentially trusting these money managers to handle their money well. And yeah. I I mean, I just with with me, I mean, we can go off on that on that tangent, but I, I have really narrowed it down to to this idea of, of values and principles, right? right? So if you look at you know what the what the self interest and value proposition of Wall Street and banks is, it's it's all short term profits, right? Yeah. They're they need to hit quarterly earnings. They need to have you know these short term metrics, and they you know go to a lot of lengths. Uh, sometimes outside of the law to get them. I mean, look at Wells Fargo for an example, mm-hmm. right? It's like who, five thousand people participating They're in, a lot in of trouble right you now. know in in a a scheme to open. 2 million bank accounts. Yeah. I mean, why did they do it? Well, they're doing it because they're trying to hit a short-term number given to them by, you know, their their uh, managers and probably their managers managers. Yeah. Right? That's why that's why they do it. The the thing is they don't have necessarily a, a vision and a value system that looks out for the the customer of of Wells Fargo and that's why the customer was exploited. Same thing with Wall Street and a lot of the things they've pulled off, whether it's LIBOR and the manipulation of that uh, interest rate index, yeah. uh, the London Interbank Offering Rate, uh, or you you know you have a lot of forex manipulation. There's a huge like multi-billion-dollar settlement because of it, and it's really because you know they're they're incentivized to hit numbers. Quarterly, annually, etc., cetera, uh, and look out for really their bonuses, their best interests, and not uh, the uh, fiduciary responsibility they have for clients. Now, I'm not saying that this as absolute, like this isn't all of them, but it's by far the lion's share. But then you look at you know the industry that we represent, and it's it's kind of an industry that's been around forever and will be around forever. Well, that's, see, that leads to it deals with the lo- a long term. It was the very same question I had when uh, when I was given the opportunity to come to come work for you and do your media stuff and and consult with you and and write with you which is has been the, just a fantastic experience for me but when i found out about this i thought why i've been working with large sums of money for a long time why haven't i heard of this strategy before mm-hmm. and that's our second most asked question is yeah. this is an old strategy it's been around for well over 100 years how come how come more people don't know about this do you think well it's it's market share right and market share is pure wall street I mean, when it comes to money management and where to put your money yeah. they've you know number one they've totally um, taking advantage, and you know, I would say for them, from a business model perspective, in a good way, they've taken advantage of certain aspects of the tax code, and they've just figured out a way to get a lot of people to give them a lot of money, all their money. And then people just then it's just like a monkey see, monkey do kind of thing, where yeah, I mean, if everybody you, has a four hundred one k program, and so that's just where you put your money in, and, and, and think nobody about, thinks and, about it. And think that. about it from a bank's perspective, right? It's like number one, four hundred one k, they can't take money out. 
right? right? And a bank, that's the biggest thing they, they worry about. They don't want people like withdrawing money all the time. Right. So they figured out a way to how to you know not to get them to Lock withdraw money, right? And also there's you know because of penalties and taxes and, and whatever. Uh, but they have you know this kind of paycheck. They're contributing by paycheck, so it yeah. becomes this habit of just more and more and more money. And so it became this like you know trough where there was just money spilling over and not enough institutions to to handle it. And that's why you have just you know, tens of thousands of mutual funds. You have huge investment banks. I mean, it's a it's and it's, it's a big huge. Shell game for the most part. Yeah, and they've figured they've tried to figure out ways to get returns here and do this and do this and just have put the uh, those who own the four hundred and one k or those accounts that they are. I mean, four hundred and one k technically you don't own it. The government protects it for you that's another discussion but you know it is it's like you know it's not even yours it's like yeah. it's in the custody of, of the government and they give it to you based on their you know their uh, uh rules and, and regulations anyway or parameters so so what i'm trying to say is like yeah there, there just became this this huge uh a massive flow of money into the market and think about when it happened too it's like during the time where the baby boomers were at their their peak, their peak yeah. working years, right? Mm-hmm. And they're making, they're making money. And this, you no, know, there's the pension system no longer exists. And they were no at their most vulnerable as well, uh, at that stage of their life, because a lot of them were coming into money for the first time. Yeah, and and, and, it, and that's really why the markets know. kept growing. Yeah. Right, they just kept going up and up and up and up and up, supply and demand. Right, if you have a limited number of mutual funds, limited number of stocks, yeah, and you have tons of buyers, prices are going to go up. So if you look at all through the 80s and 90s, now it wasn't the only contributing factor, but it was definitely one of them. Now, because this is such a, it, it's a, a, first of all, it's a tried and true strategy. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of the same questions. We've, we've approached some of these uh, here. Uh, we've talked about your history and how the market went into this just devastating crisis. I know another correction is coming. We've talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, now that you're armed with all this knowledge, what's next? What what happens next for 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 you? What happens next for the country? What happens next for Paradigm yeah. Life? Uh, I mean, it's a really broad question, but what's next? What are we going to be talking about on episode four hundred, for example? Well, uh, maybe I'll I'll step back a little bit and maybe talk about the last like year 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 and a half because I think the last year year and a half have also been uh, pretty difficult for me, and it, it, yeah. it's not been the the same situation as. Uh, as it was in the, in, in the past with 2008, 2009, that was mainly yeah. financial and and just making really bad decisions. But mm-hmm. this go around, I mean, we've we've been at the same kind of you know size, volume, uh, and just you know what we're producing as a as a company. Uh, and I love it. I mean, we do business with you know a little over a thousand people a year, uh, and it's very very rewarding. At the same time, I, I have this in, you know this inclination to do more and more. But where I've I think I've failed in the last last couple of years uh, is with you know being a good uh, good leader, right? And I don't know. I've never considered my I still don't really, but I never considered myself a, a leader. But but a lot of people here wanted me to to be that, and I didn't really accept that res- responsibility. And it probably hasn't been until just recently where I've I've seen the necessity of uh, of having a good culture. And a lot the of people right... start their companies and they want to get into this because they have a passion for the work itself. Yeah. And they, they may not necessarily understand that 
you have to have some substantial leadership experience and qualities to really make your company grow. Yeah. If you want to get past a certain point, yeah. I think if you, you, you know, get it to a certain yeah, stage, 10, yeah. 10 people, you know, it's, it's relatively easy. If you have a really good idea, really good value proposition, yeah. when you start to build beyond that, that's where the, the complexity of having, you know, an office and having a culture and having the right people, yeah. it goes that that's what is going to be the catalyst between where you are and where you want to be at that, at that level. And I never, I haven't got, I didn't get that. And I've had a lot of lessons, uh, especially this particular year with having the right people and yeah. getting the wrong people off, off the bus. Yeah. But it's also really I've under- been a part of that. It's been, yeah, it's no, been interesting I know you have. to watch. You've, you've been right in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. And it's been, it's been hard for me. It's, you know, sleepless nights, reading tons of books and just being frustrated, not knowing what to, and to having do. having to listen to me say, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Don't say that. And with, yeah. And it's, it's, I, I would say, you know, what's next. I think that we've definitely turned, turned a corner as far as uh, our, our culture is concerned. I've really made this, this connection between uh, really being driven by, you know, metrics and numbers uh, and, you know, quarterly goals and this and that yeah. uh, versus being driven by by values. And I've started to look at the world a little bit differently because of that. And I see it. I see it everywhere. And Can you I look- just tell you, it felt so it, it was um, now this is very dramatic and and I don't want it to sound dramatic on one end and really happy on the other end. But I want to try and illustrate how this felt because we had gone through a lot of trials. And I'm honored that I got to be a part of those with you, uh, as is everybody here. But when you realize this, when you came to that conclusion, it was almost as though the Wicked Witch of the West had died. <laughs> because the entire mood, it was almost yeah. like the air changed in this place. Mm-hmm. Once you realized that, everything was different. Yep. Almost like you turned on a light switch. Yep. And I see it in everybody in here. I think the biggest thing was me, with me was um, I just I just assumed everybody thinks the way that I think. I assume people know w- what I know. My head would and, explode if and, I tried to think the way you think. And I became just really fr- frustrated sometimes where it's just like, why don't they just do this and they do this? And what, what? I mean, just do that. that you just got to do that and then everything will be better. And it's done. Yeah. And that is that is the, the the wrong way to, to look at it. And so yeah. – and, and I, I would say I just kept hitting this brick wall over and over and over again. And then, I, like I said, I discovered that, you know, really it's, it's your, your people, it's those that are around you. You put them in the right direction, they will get you there. You don't tell them where you want to go and then yeah. tell them what to do to get you there. It's a total wrong way of doing it. And it, and it you know, ask me, I've had, I have, you know, probably a dozen, you know, dozen examples of why it doesn't, maybe more of why <laughs> that does not work. And, and it, and it had been frustrating for years, dude. It was like, it was, yeah. it's, and, you know, it suddenly kind of, you know, came to this point where a lot of things came together. Book principles came together, stories, right. examples, this, this, this. And, you Our know, good I, buddy I feel. Cameron Harold. Yeah. So Cameron Harold. He helped a lot. We're going to have him on next week. Yeah. And he was, so. you know, in his books, I would say that when I first read them, I didn't get it. It was a little too simple, a little too elementary, but no, I they were that. so, the, the timing was absolutely I, perfect. I remember asking you, I said, what do you think about this? Eh, eh. I don't and, know. And and then what was amazing as we were doing, you know, we did a book study as a as a leadership team and even then some of the things weren't really gelling. Yeah. But then suddenly it's like boom, it just all started to to make sense. We made a lot of different up uh, shifts because of it. And I would say that, you know, to the question, this is a super long answer to your question. It's I don't if if I hadn't had these didn't have these breakthroughs I don't know what would what you would don't be next. Know what would be next. Yeah, but now now I do. Right, I think I I think I've figured out 
um, how to get us, you know, to to grow a, a much a much uh, bigger level. And this yeah. is, and my motivation has changed, right? Because I look at you know something I learned from from Simon Sinek, which is the this idea of game theory. It's the difference between the infinite game and the finite game. Yep. And he had a brilliant talk in uh, Google. Maybe we can reference that video. I, I I've watched it so many times. Was that the one I sent? I think I sent you something the other day and said, "Hey, check this out." And you're like, "Dude, I've been eat, eating, sleeping, yeah. and drinking this for a <laughs> month." And that's where and that and that's where that video. It's there's so much that hit me in that video. Where you know the the infinite you know infinite game versus finite game. I'm not gonna get into the you know the definition of both. That's another episode yeah. entirely. But, it's but basically, you have you know you can relate to anything. Sports teams. You can relate it to mm-hmm. bands. You can relate it to countries. Sure. Uh, whatever. Families. He relates it to bit families too. You can. Yep. He relates it to business. Right. You have these finite uh, game businesses that are just trying to beat somebody else. They're trying to hit their quarterly earnings. They're trying to do this and do this. Mm-hmm. Finite companies always fail. At some yep. point, they may have a couple wins. They always fail uh, because their purpose is this, you know, non-soul type of objective measurement, right? Right. Uh, and I guess you can say subjective too. But then you have infinite companies, right? That are out because they know their purpose. There isn't an end. There's no. not an end to this. Now there may the purpose be. Purpose is the journey itself. Yeah, there it may be zen-like, but, but for yeah. sure, and it totally is, and it may sound so esoteric to people, but it's so freaking true. Yeah. And you look at you know the finiteness of games within that infinite game. The finiteness of games is you know you need a you need a business plan. You need some you know quarterly uh, benchmarks you're trying to shoot to. But your true motivation is the infinite game, which the objective is to keep playing. And yeah. it's because you're driven by purpose, you're driven by values, and you're driven by uh, your why, the difference yep. you want to make. And I think I've made that. I think I've made that connection. Now, you know, it's it's the implementation, which you know I'm in the in the middle of right now. But I would say what's next? It's it's really um, you know taking those ideas. Uh, putting them together, whether it's the book or whether some of the new stuff we're doing, uh, it's the you know teaching of our of our team and having that type of dialogue and discussion, mm-hmm. uh, and that right there I think is what's going to be the catalyst to something pretty pretty amazing. Because, I mean, I I don't know if there's going to be a, a correction anytime soon. It could be a month, could be a year. Um, it's inevitable because it's always happened. Yeah, it will right? it will happen. Yeah. You just don't know when. And looking at you know kind of the 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 timing of everything that we're doing, it's just I don't know. Just fe- it seems just very. Um, you know, not necessarily uh, organized, but a lot of things are just coming together uh, at, at the right at the right time. Yeah. Oddly for, enough, for for that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, speaking of Cameron Harold, we uh, we had him on for the Cash Flow Wealth Summit, and it was you interviewed him, and it was so good. Uh, all of us who had seen it before were still riveted to it, just watching it. Uh, and we thought, you know what? Let's turn this into a podcast. Mm-hmm. So next week we're going to bring him. We're oh, going to cool. bring that interview back That's right. from the Cash Flow Well Summit. So if you yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed there. Like I was interviewing, like oh my, oh my gosh, that's like such a good point. I was oh, like, no, right, was I was funny. like, right, I was like taking notes. Yeah, you had kind of forgotten <laughs> that you you were no longer interviewing. You were in a counseling yeah. session or something because yeah, you were just like, wow. Yep. Uh, he did say something that was very profound in that interview, which uh, I don't want to give anything away. But he said, uh, you know, to to be an entrepreneur, to truly be an entrepreneur means to think. Uh, in one week, you've got the tiger by the tail, and you the, you know the world in the palm of your hand. And the very next week, you think you're going to die, and everybody's going out of business. And yeah. I saw your face. Yeah. <laughs> I saw your face at the interview, and you just laughed. And I thought, oh, <laughs> you know what? This guy understands entrepreneurs inside and out. So if you have any sort of uh, at any level 
uh, entrepreneurial spirit, you definitely want to check out that episode, which is, it'll be episode 201 and it's coming up next week. Yep. And that's where, you know, something else hit me too that I think is, is part of that that I, I think is worthy worthy of mention because looking, I mean, looking at our services first and foremost, I mean, it's really it's really to solve to solve problems, yeah. right? And looking at money, at the end of the day, it is this finite, you know, non-soul thing, but it's what en- enables us to, uh, to, to, to live. To, it's a, it's to have fulfillment, to, to achieve happiness, quality of life. Exactly, and so yeah. I and I and I and I realized that, um, and w- something that something that hit me is you know just the idea that you could be super successful in a finite business and you know do really well and have yeah. you know big win here, big win here, but really the the fact that there's no purpose to it is going to affect you at some point down the road. So oh, one thing that it. connected with me is uh, I can't remember who the who the speaker was, but they were talking about really. Uh, what's going on in our society right now with, especially with kids, uh, suicide rates are high. Uh, drug use is high. Violence. Uh, you have abortions. I mean, with middle yeah. school and high school, uh, you have violence and gu- and this this speaker basically broke down the why to it and said, okay, well, it could be this, it could be this, you know, it could be like, you know, it's a, a single family home. It yeah. could be that, you there know, there's issues, the, you so, know, the social issues, the in, the internet, video games and violence and video games. Right. Uh, and, but then it went to the parents and it says, okay, the parents, um, they're the biggest, they're the biggest influence. And if they're not there, uh, then and he's like, that's not an excuse. Okay. Parents, most parents naturally have a desire to teach their children and nurture them. The reason, and, and he, it was whether this is true or not is, is an, an argument, but I think there's merit to it. And he said that basically uh, the environment that the parents uh, experience at work is what creates such negativity because whether they're you know they're not valued or there's tr- tons of pressure uh, or there's you know a lot of competition and it's just overwhelming to them. Yeah, they come home and although they have you know, the natural inclination to nurture and teach and be there for their kids because of what happens at work in that environment where it is, they aren't building relationships for the most part. It's it's this kind of like superficial uh, relationship uh, group, right? They go home and that carries with them. And that is one of the main, and this, whether this is true or not, I mean, this is this guy's opinion. I agree with it completely. But I, I heard that and it's like, that's, that's the thing. I mean, in, in the end, I would say that, you know, really if you, whether it's your finances, whether it's your business, whether it's your investments in the end, if it is not giving you a, a sense of fulfillment, it doesn't matter how much money money you have. And I think that's, that's right. the power of what we do is we're kind of the foundation for all of it because we have a lot of real estate investment clients, a lot of business owner clients, a lot of entrepreneur clients, yeah. uh, a lot of single clients, a lot of married clients, a lot of families, a lot of older individuals who are yeah. on the brink of retirement. What what our strategy does in the end, how to explain it, right? It is, it's perpetual, right? Which is this idea of the of the infinite, Right. It is meant it is set up where it plays a role at every point in your financial life, beginning, middle and everything. And the nice thing is you can jump in at any time. I, you know, I I talk to uh, to a lot of younger people who think that they're not supposed to get into it until they're older. And then I talk to older people who think, well, I missed the boat. I should have gotten into it when I was young. Yep. No, there's never a get into this. You can jump into this at any time. Yep. And that's the and that's the idea is that you know even if it is late in the game or early in the game, there's so many ways you can you can uh, 
customize it and you yeah. can you know adjust this and adjust that but it really you know there it's agnostic to what a profession or, or financial situation is of an individual yep. it's helped the billionaires it's helped millionaires it's helped just the average average individual the average Joe. yeah and i would i would say that you know going to this whole finite game side of things it provides a a level of certainty yeah. that you don't really you can't quantify the effect of that and it's the certainty of knowing that the money you're not going to lose the money the certainty to know that you can you know uh, borrow against it and the it's certainty protected. that it's private it's protected yeah. and that you know I, I really didn't touch on this when i was going through 2008 2009 but i lost my personal bank account right sure. all i had was a business bank account uh just because of creditors and and so forth sure uh, the this the strategy the thing that we use is what saved strategy yeah it's what you. it's what saved it's what saved paradigm yeah and so i would say that you know regardless of you know regardless of the scenario regardless of the situation you you have to have that type of anchor and foundation because it is what you know essentially creates more certainty in everything else that you that you yeah. do and i think in the end it, that applies to everything. If you hate your job, stop working there because it's yeah. affecting everything. And most people just, you know, they're they're comfortable with where they're at, and the fear of changing, right, is more than the the fear of staying staying the same. But eventually, oh. it catches up with you. It's a boiling frog syndrome. You can lose so much of your life. I know. Just like dealing with it, oh, and, I, and dealing with it, I hate that word. And also, this kind of applies to the whole retirement side of things too, because one thing that we've tried to teach and continue to teach is that retirement is not not natural, right? And most people are like, well, I don't want to work in you know in, in what I'm doing forever. And I'm like, you don't you don't have to, right? But still contributing, you, you have to do something. You have you to do like. something, and you have to be you have to be. Uh, valuable to somebody else if you lose that dynamic like you, you lose a sense of your worth yeah and that's where you know some of the things that we talk about are you know how do you find something right now right where it is something you love it is yeah. something that provides you fulfillment and also yeah. you know you're going to figure out a way to do it whether it's full-time at a company or whether it's you know a contractor or freelance sure right? there's so many opportunities that where we're at right now where you could be 65 or 70 years old and work 15 hours a week 20 hours a week and then take a couple oh, months off or yeah. take a you know every other weekend and no do a plans. vacation i have no plans to ever stop yeah, working because it's because working people associate working with this negative thing and that's yeah. what i'm trying to you know change here at the culture or at the at the office with uh with our culture is that you know everybody shows up and they love they, they love coming here because of the mm -hmm. people that are here. They love coming here because it's where they can uh, express their creativity and they can, um, you know, work really hard and get remunerated for it. They can. Yep. And, and that's, you know, it's not what it is right now. But that's, I think, what we're working toward. Oh, we'll get there. But I look at, you know, everyone else. There's so many opportunities right now with what you know, what you've experienced, uh, what you've learned, your resume that can be valuable in an environment that appreciates you. Oh, for sure. An environment where you feel fulfilled. Because if that doesn't exist, it's it's affecting the rest of your life, period. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not it's not worth it. So yeah. I would say, you know, whether it's finances or whether it's business, whether it's what your, you know, finite goal is or your infinite goal, whatever, you know, I would say that the pursuit of this idea of fulfillment and achievement is natural to all of us. Yep. And dealing with it i just don't i don't like that phrase and that's where i would say tell me that's going to be in the book i don't that know has I, to does be in it, your book what what dealing with it is like should be a profane slogan i just have like a bunch of like symbols in there yeah i don't know yeah maybe maybe we could throw throw that throw maybe that sucker should. in absolutely <laughs> well listen man congratulations on on uh 200 episodes of this show 
Yeah. Uh, Thank it's, you. It's been a long haul, but you know the podcast is killing it. It's nationally ranked, mm -hmm. and we would like to encourage everybody to tell all of your colleagues and all of your associates and all of your friends about it and check it out and listen to it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you would. Uh, we'd be very grateful, and uh, we hope that uh, we hope that there's going to be two hundred more. Dude, let's let's do let's start with uh, like three hundred. All right. Go to go to three or maybe <laughs> two fifty. Fair enough. And then we'll get to four to four hundred. But yeah, for, I I love doing this. I mean, I love I, I just find a lot of joy and and uh, uh, and you know I hate to overuse this word, but fulfillment in just talking about what I what I think and what I what I believe in. Well, it sure helps a lot of people. Yeah. And thanks for doing it. Hey, dude, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for helping me with the podcast and and uh, oh, I'm having a ball and doing it. I know, uh, it yeah, I'm, I'm having a ball and I, and and again, everybody check out next week as well. All right, everyone. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And yeah, Cameron Harold, awesome interview. It was. Uh, he's a super smart, super smart guy. Although, I did see because I follow. I mean, I follow him on uh, on social media, and he posted something over the weekend where he was like, uh, "I just left all my luggage at the airport, so I'm not as smart as you think I am." <laughs> <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Even smart guys can do dumb stuff. That's, right? Yeah, that's true. No, I, that's an understatement because that happens to me all the time. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thanks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you. Uh, talk to you next week. That was good. I think we Dude, got that was through. Awesome.